Welcome to the Natural Running Network. My name is Richard Diaz, and what I hope to do is introduce you to some amazing athletes and luminaries from the sports science community, and what has come to be expected, I'll provide some highly opinionated rants on all aspects of endurance sports and my current favorite, obstacle course racing. But before I get started, I want to give a shout out to Human Octane. If you're the kind of person who pushes the limit, then you've got to check out Human Octane Apparel. Training and racing apparel designed by OCR athletes, and these guys just get it. Everything they make dries lightning fast, has zippered pockets, is abrasion resistant in high contact areas without bulky padding. I've gotten to know these guys, and trust me, they're going to out-innovate the competition when it comes to OCR gear. Check them out at humanoctane.com. Now sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. Well, here we are about, uh, well, let's see, about three days short of the Monterey Super. And I have been trying, and just one thing or another gets in the way. haven't had a chance to, but I finally have gotten hold of Mark Botris. Did I say it right that time? Yes, yes. That's Perfect. Correct. So I got Mark <laughs> Botris with me, and I know that he is having a hell of a season, and I know he's getting ready to throw down in Monterey, and I thought to get him on the phone to discuss with him his thoughts about that race and his preparation leading up to it and all that kind of stuff. So, Mark, what say you? How's it going? Uh, everything's going good. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot, lot better than last year. So, <laughs> A lot better than last Taking year. Taking positives. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I yeah. saw some little video clips. I see you're throwing down pretty hard getting ready for this thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been uh, changing my training a lot uh, from last year to this year, kind of still trying to understand OCR uh, as a whole. I mean, it, it's it, it's very complicated. It's uh, kind of a Rubik's Cube when it comes to training adaptation. So it's really, you know, it's very fun to try to try to train for. So, you know, it's funny you say that. Kind of mixed it up a little bit. It's funny you say that yeah. because that is exactly what I've been calling it. It's like a Rubik's yeah. Cube. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny because, like, you know, if you think about a Rubik's Cube, like, you focus on one side or you focus on one color, and then you screw up everything else. And then you got to focus on that side and focus on the other side, and then it's never completely balanced. And in order to be the best, you got to have that balance, and that's the difficult part. That is absolutely true. And um, I would suggest that coming from a traditional running background, you understand how complicated it can be to have all these colors and turns of the, of the cube that's just coming at you left and right. And I've said it, and I don't know what your take might be on it, but you know, I've been doing clinics around the country and I keep telling people that periodization doesn't exist in this sport. What's your thought? <laughs> it it kind of it kind of does and it doesn't because from what I can what I gather is that you can keep or sustain a high level of fitness for uh, a certain amount of time, but then after that you start to degrade in your your performance, and then at that point you need to 
like revamped. So like for this season, like what I decided to do was I was going to work hard from January until Monterey. And then at the end of Monterey, I'm taking a big break. I'm not even doing Palmerton. So I kind of told myself like to do Palmerton and Asheville was kind of back to back on hard efforts. And that would be kind of, you know, difficult to do. So I said, if I scrap Palmerton, that actually gives me another uh, couple weeks to actually revamp, kind of recharge my batteries, and then have the big push all the way till uh, Tahoe. That's my strategy. <laughs> That's, that sounds like a reasonable strategy. And, and I have to tell you, I coach a lot of athletes, and my biggest frustration as a coach is trying to get my athletes to realize that they can't show up for all these events and do well. I have enough trouble with the idea of racing back-to-back in a weekend. Right. And and you know what? That's probably the most uh, taxing thing you can do to your body is back-to-back OCR races. Because, uh, man, it, it is just another world <laughs> like especially doing like a beast and a and a and a, and a sprint is it, it's just uh it's very difficult it, well, they're it polar puts opposites. a lot of stress on the body they're, yeah yeah exactly right you can't prepare for a beast and at the same time prepare for a sprint and do well in both you just i don't see how you could do that yeah they're they're, they're totally different yeah it, it it you know i guess you know it, it kind of helps that a lot of people that do the events do both events. So it's not really that uh, the person who wins the beast is so good that they also win the sprint. It's just that everyone is tired and now we're just resetting the race and <laughs> we're continuing on from yesterday. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it kind of saves you in other words. Yeah. You know? and it, it really so, doesn't make any sense to be honest with you. It just, if, if you think about it just from a, from a neurological and mental perspective, when you go into a race and you know that you're racing again the following day, one of two things is going to happen. You're going to subconsciously rein back for the first race to prepare for the second, or you're going to, you're going to throw down really hard for the first, and because you did, you're going to consciously or subconsciously back off for the second. It's just too difficult to be 100% especially at those very distances over two days in a row. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel exactly the same way because like I, I, I've done the doubles, but it's like I said, I, I think I do really hard. I do a really hard effort on day one and then come day two, I'm just trying to survive. <laughs> I'm just like, I'll just do whatever I have to do just to get to the finish line. And, you know, Luckily for me this year, it's worked out pretty well. So, Well, again, I guess the, the other end of it is if all the competition is doing the same thing, then it becomes a function of who survives the best, right? Right, exactly. And that's pretty much what it comes down to when it comes to doubling on a weekend because there's not very many people that are saying like, oh, I'm not going to do, um, you know, Saturday because I'm, I'm, Sunday is more of what I'm, I've been focused on and it's it's rare like it, people usually look at it like oh I'm there I might as well do Saturday and Sunday yeah not thinking to themselves like oh they're really prepared for the sprint and they could probably win it but because they do the super before 
they actually have a horrible performance for the sprint, which is something they've actually been preparing for. Right. It's funny you say that <laughs> but, because I've heard that too. People say, well, you know, since I traveled so far and I'm there, I might as well do both. Right. And I'm like, what, 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 has your, uh, what has your training adaptation been like? What have you been actually focusing on? Oh, more the sprint. Then why are you doing the super? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'm, glad, gets a little... I'm glad to hear you say that because – the word you just used is something I pitch around a lot, and it's difficult. You're looking for adaptations, you know, and realize that I do clinical analysis on athletes, and I do that to define where they are, time and space, and how their metabolic efficiency is coming about, and the focus of developing training that's going to provide adaptations requires time and exposure to very specific elements that are going to provide those adaptations. And... You just can't muster the appropriate adaptations when you're racing every other weekend. It, you just don't have enough exposure to any particular specific adaptation or uh, uh, adaptive response, I should say. Right. It's kind of just like a catch-can, like all-inclusive kind of thing, but nothing specific. So then you end up getting just like a watered-down version of training. All right, so <laughs> having, having said all that, uh, let's just kind of let's just kind of reach back and share with my audience some of your history. And you have to correct me if my data is old or dated or whatever. But what I pulled up was that you put down a fourteen twenty seven fifty nine five thousand meter. Have you done better than that? Uh, no, that's that's my PR okay. on the track. Yep. And then a twenty nine twenty five thirty. For ten thousand, and yep. and then I see, um, oh geez, a half marathon, one oh five fifty one. That's pretty smoking fast. Yeah, yeah. And uh, your and PR then, uh, PR for the marathons two nineteen and change. Yeah. Wow. All right. So here That's comes accurate. Yeah. So here <laughs> here comes the first question that. Hunter had for you, and I and I thought it was a good question. He wants to know why you left marathoning and why you picked OCR. Okay, uh, it's a good question. Um, I left marathoning uh, because it, it was a interesting time. Like I was, uh, I think it was two thousand eleven or twelve, and I was still running pretty fast, but. Um, I had recently uh, torn my meniscus in my in my knee and in my left knee, and uh, it was kind of a weird comeback when I was coming back into running. And then when I came back into the sport, it was kind of I was looking it, like kind of outside in into the sport, and I was like, "Wow, it's uh, kind of a daunting task I'm trying to you know accomplish here." And then at the time, I think like there was a lot of, um, you know, a lot of rumors going around about uh, basically who was using PEDs and how PEDs were being used. And it was just, it was, it was just kind of like, I kind of had my moment where I was like, okay, in order to be good at this sport, I have to use drugs and that's it. And then that that was pretty much it. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And I was, still thinking about running fast and how I was going to do it. And, and then, um, my friend, 
uh, who who owns his own gym in Orange County, he told me, hey, let's go do this uh, Spartan race and check this out and uh, see what it's all about. And he was kind of under the thinking that, you know, pretty much pretty like all runners are probably thinking about when they look at OCR is, oh, man, we could tear this up because it's just running. It's no big deal. You go in there, you run, you win. It's, it's, it's just going to be fun. So uh, when I first did my first OCR, uh, it was in Utah. And, oh, man, it was, it was in 2014. And it was the worst experience of my life. <laughs> and I ended up placing, I think, uh, 15th overall. And I just realized on that day, I, like, um, I think three or four weeks before, I had run like a 109 half marathon. And I was still coming back from my injury, and I was thinking to myself, "Wow, I can't believe how how many like like in physical strength and in physical ability, like how much um, how much weaknesses I do have. Because I when you're running, you're doing a marathon, you're running, you know, sub 220. You're thinking you don't have very many weaknesses, <laughs> but then you go out there and you do you know a Spartan race, and it's uh, multiple disciplined exercises." And you start to realize, oh man, there's there's a lot of weaknesses that I have, and um, that's kind of what like spurred my interest in the sport. And then um, my friends ended up doing another race, and they ended up doing very well in the second race, which is at um, uh, Sacramento. And when they did well there, I told myself, hey, this is something I can actually do better at if I give it a, a second chance. So I started training for it, and uh, I ended up doing my next race in, um, I think it was, uh, was it SoCal, and that's where I placed like fifth or sixth, and that was the first time I was actually competitive, like with with the upper tier guys. So that that was a, a fun experience, but yeah. Well, the the thing about it, you say weaknesses and 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 what have you. I don't believe that that's so much the case. It's just that your your drive. And the, you know, the physicality that you bring to the table for running a marathon is completely different than it is for an OCR event because there's so much demand on your upper body. And as a marathon runner, anything that you carry up on top that's in excess is expensive to carry around with you, right? Oh, right. Absolutely. Like, if you look at my body composition from when I was running marathons, I, was, I, had, I weighed 130 pounds. And and then uh, you know coming to OCR, I think this week I'm weighing 152. Yeah. So it's like that's a big difference in terms of running in a marathon. Oh, it's like you can't run you can't run fast running at 150 pounds, especially at the level that I wanted to to run at. So I was like, oh, you know, that's just not uh, that's not possible. No. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> but, uh, do you feel I, better? I, I, I could, I feel way better. And the reason why is because I feel that I actually have a more well-rounded, like, you know, I'm a more well-rounded athlete now. Whereas before I was just like, I can run, but that's about it. So I could do a lot more now. I could lift a lot more. And, you know, I, I enjoy, I'm enjoying life a lot more now as an OCR athlete, as opposed to a marathoner. Let me share something with you that I think a lot of people are not aware of. I do VO2 testing on athletes, and I've probably tested more OCR athletes in the lab than anyone probably in the world at this point in time. 
And what I found that is kind of profound is the, the oxygen uptake on the OCR athletes is far and away better than I found in elite marathoners that I've worked with or elite cyclists that I've worked with or almost any other sport that I've, I've worked with. These guys are coming in and have these tremendous aerobic engines. And I, I'm not terribly sure how to hang my hat on it just yet. I'd like to believe it's got something to do with just the, the synergy and the, the musculature that they're involving in, in the endurance aspect of sport. I think that just le- leads you into a place where you have more access to oxygen. I don't know. But they, I think they're probably some of the healthiest athletes I've ever met. Yeah, I feel a lot healthier. That's mm-hmm. for sure. <laughs> like, I, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that, um, like, it, it's it's a lot different from doing a, a, an endurance event. Like, when you go out and you do a marathon, like, you run and you run at a certain level or heart rate. And you never go over that until the last, like, mile, you know? Because you're never going to re- – you never go beyond the red line. But when you do OCR events, you go beyond the red line all the time. Anytime you hit an obstacle that's, uh, you know, weight intensive or that, uh, that, that, you know, you see someone else doing faster than you, uh, you all, you automatically just spike your heart rate up and, you know, climbing a rope, that's difficult. So, I mean, you never stay at a even heart rate throughout the whole race. It's going up and down and all over the place. And I think that has a lot to do with, you know, you know, the race itself but i think it you know it, it can transfer over like that those that that kind of adaptation you do in racing transfers over into you know higher levels of vo2 max or or you know those values because i'm like i've never had an event where my heart rate was you know spiked to the max like that it's pretty crazy yeah so the, i guess that leads me to the other question which was uh, what is the difference in your run training now versus when you were running competitively in a traditional setting? Uh, my running training now, um, I I tend to put more focus on the uh, the quality workouts. So it's it's like I I still I still incorporate some of the elements I did when I was doing marathon training, and it's only because the races themselves are are long you know, 10 mile, 10 mile races are pretty much what we've been doing up until now, uh, for this part of the season anyways. But, um, yeah, so I understand that it's a 10 mile race. So I understand that I still have to have, you know, my aerobic capacity kind of maxed out to race 10 miles. And then, um, I kind of changed some other elements in my training, but, um, for the most part though, the miles are still there. Um, I think I, I peaked out my base phase this this year with um, I think five or six weeks at 100 miles a, a, a week, and then um, after that I kind of went down in mileage, and it's been floating around 80 miles a week. That's still quite a lot of volume. Yeah, yeah, uh, but you know, I I kind of like when I was doing my marathoning, I would I would do um, I would do a lot I would do two long runs and two uh, like threshold runs and then one, um, kind of, uh, speed, speed oriented run, but it wasn't, it wasn't pure speed. It was like, um, a mixture of aerobic and anaerobic capacity. So, 
mostly like thousands or something like that. Got it. So the other thing was, uh, in respect to the sport at large, you know, coming out of a more traditional and, and understood sport like running, what do you think about uh, the the potential for this sport to be actually a professional sport? And do you think that the sport is going in the right direction? Um, I think the potential for the sport being a professional sport is, I I think it's um th- there is no limit. The sky's the limit, essentially, because like from where I'm from, what I'm seeing in the sport and how fast it's been growing from when I got started in 2014, um, I've seen exponential growth. And what I've noticed is that I, I think they can actually, this sport can actually go into a different paradigm when it comes to um, uh, endurance sports, uh, where most endurance sports have just been what they are is pretty much, you know, you're a lone wolf and you're going out and you're just, you know, you're, you're hitting the pavement that, or you have like a small little team with you. Um, and, and that's pretty much your only support. But, um, I think this sport actually has potential to grow into something a lot more different than, than anybody's ever seen before when it comes to endurance sports. Well, it's going to require money. (laughs) It comes down to that, right? Right. right. I mean, for you guys to, to take this to the next level, where you're relying on your earning, whether it be through uh, endorsements um, and or purses on events, it's got to come to a place where, I mean, let's face it, professional to me suggests that you're making a living. And, uh, and there, are, as you are fully aware, I'm sure, there are very few guys in this sport or gals in this sport that are actually able to uh, make a living. I mean, there are those that are taking a break from from occupation to try to invest 100% into the sport. But you and I both know that it's not the kind of money that you're looking down the road saying, okay, if I keep this up for long enough, I'm going to retire at this. Correct. <laughs> I mean, you didn't quit your yeah. day job just yet, right? No, no. I'm, I'm very much still working. Yeah. <laughs> Which makes it tough, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a full-time job. I'm working, um, you know, more than 40 hours a week. Um, you know, but, you know, that pays the bills. So yeah. that's, where, that's where the attention got to go. <laughs> I can't even imagine yeah, sure. putting in uh, 80, 100 miles a week and, and pulling down 40-plus hours a week as a, a, a career. Oh, my God. Okay, so last year I had – that that was my dilemma. I had I was working, you know, forty hours a week, and I was driving from Pomona all the way to El Segundo, and that's like a two-hour drive. So on top of eight-hour days, it was two hours to get there, two hours to get home, and you know my hips were all messed up, and I could barely get in, you know, fifty miles a week <laughs> without getting injured. So. I mean that I think that was the biggest improvement that happened in my training wow. from last year to this year cuz like last year I think um yeah, I was like in July or August I finally moved and now I work I live in Upland California and I work in Ontario which is you know no more than a 5 minute drive so 
that's a huge difference <laughs> in comparison from last year. So last year I could barely do 50 miles a week without, you know, basically going into a, a state of depression. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause it was, it was tough, man. It was like waking up at, um, I woke up at three fifty in the morning to drive all the way down to El Segundo to train before work, go to work. And then after come home and I was just dead when I got home. Oh, I'd imagine. I, was, I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. I was like, this is killing me. But I was still doing pretty well in this, like you know in the in the races and the series and stuff like that, just because I was like I was doing the right training at least, you know. So I'd say, okay, I'm, I might not do this run because it's just easy miles, but you know I'm gonna hit that tempo run, you know, the next day. That's that's gonna happen. So yeah. kind of picking my battles like that. Oh man, but, yeah. <laughs> and I'd imagine also that when you come home and you got two kids, uh, daddy, daddy, daddy. Let's go, uh, you know, whatever. And you're like, oh, please, God, just kill me right yeah. now. Right? I mean, there there have been so many uh, park workouts where we're like, all right, let's go to the park. And then I'm, I'm there on the monkey bars doing pull-ups and, you know, leg lifts and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about this race coming up. And I think this is a big one. This is probably one of the bigger races of the season, I think, certainly for the West Coast. And... You know, given that NBC is vested in the in the series, and it's such a cool location, what are your thoughts? I mean, can you, I, I imagine you spend more than enough time thinking about whether or not you have the potential to win that race? What do you envision the podium looking like come race day? Um. Well, this one's this one's kind of weird because I, you know, I honestly last year I thought. Like uh, Robert Killian and uh, Cody Moat were going to take it pretty easily because it wasn't very. Um, it was actually a little bit less hills and um, not as technical. And you know, I kind of thought that that they were going to take it, and then in the end, it was you know Atkins and Hunter. So it it, it kind of it's a grab bag, man. <laughs> like you don't know what's going to happen in this sport, like. It, it, you, I don't know. Uh, to me, it's like you'd have to have a freaking sixth sense in order to predict every podium in this season because it's crazy. It's constantly shifting and evolving, and you don't know who's going to be you know fit for the day, or you don't know who's going to be uh, prepared properly. But um, I don't know. I kind of think that um, you know the athletes that I thought were you know kind of in one in one group or actually in another group. And I don't know, it's, it's really crazy, but, uh, I, I think it's going to favor, um, like I like this course particularly for myself because I, I'm not really that good at technical running in terms of like going through the bushes and trees and all that stuff. I, I like trails and this, this, this is the one, this is the one NBC race that has the most trail running available. <laughs> so if, if any, any course favors, you know, my style of running, I guess it would, it would be this one because, uh, I think a lot of people thought that, uh, Seattle was going to be, uh, a runner's course. And I, I didn't think it was because a lot of that footing on, on, the, the, uh, on the second half of the first mile was, uh, it wasn't very stable. And, um, after we dropped off the, the, the double sandbags, um, we got into this very thick, 
um, you know, mud and technical running through bushes and, you know, trees and branches. And I was, I was moving at a snail's pace. I was, I was going slow. Um, like I, I am, I, you know, I, I come from a running background. I am fast on the track, not through the sticks. Got it. <laughs> so bushwhacking is not my thing. So, uh, yeah, I was like, I, I was going slow through there predominantly. But then after we dropped off, you know, we did the second sandbag and the second spirit throw. And then we had the next running section. It was actually open. And I was able to take off after that. Because I was like, okay, I'm I'm going to move now, and from when I looked on the on the on the playback on the on the on the live footage, I had probably one of the fastest closing sections than anybody. So kind of gave me confidence. I I kind of found my weakness was, or you know, the element of that I haven't worked on the most was the uh, double sandbag carry. So I was like, if I take off minutes there then I'm in the hunt again. So, Well, there's always something, right? <laughs> there's always something. I'm going to take some of the pressure off you. Let's let's talk about the women for a second. Uh, look at the women's field. Okay. I, I think that's probably the most entertaining aspect of this uh, race coming up. And as you suggested, it's a mixed bag. It's really difficult to say, but I have some thoughts about where I think this is all going to shake out. Who do you like for this race? Um, for this race, uh, let me see. Uh, well, you know, I think, I think, uh, I think Lindsay and Faye are the ones that are going to be battling on this one, uh, just because of the style of the course and how they ran last year is, um, it, it's pretty much going to, it's, I think it might shake out to be the same thing again, uh, this year where it's, they're just going head to head again. And then, um, because I, I think this course uh, tends to favor people with a little bit of wheels. Yeah. So it kind of helps out. And uh, Nicole Miracle will probably be up there too. Well, Nicole, um, I spoke to Nicole, and I think she's probably probably a threat where speed is concerned. I just don't know. I mean, that if you recall last year, the last climb is relatively steep, and there were some long carries there as well. And I think that that's going to be a bit of a challenge for her. She'd be the mm-hmm. first to admit it. Alyssa Holly, <laughs> if she comes in healthy because she's so strong, that might help to negate some of the speed. It seems to have been working for her so far. And then, uh, then there's Rhea Koble, who I, I don't think you want to leave her out of the out of the mix either. No, no, no. And I think this this kind of course does favor her. So I, I think she's actually going to be in there as well. Yeah, that, definitely Rhea. Well, they only have so many spots on the podium. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There only gets to be three people up there. You you could stand next to it, I suppose, but if you're not standing on the blocks, you're probably not making any money. Yeah, yeah. I made a hundred bucks for getting fifth at Seattle. So, oh my god. Yeah, you don't want to be on the side. You want to be on top. That's right. (laughs) That's for sure. So you're going to do this. You're going to skip Palmerton. Then you're going to do Asheville. Is that what you're suggesting? Yeah. Yeah. Mm Hmm. And then, that, that, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say that works out for me because, <laughs> like, uh, I think like in terms of my weaknesses, Palmerton has the most of my weaknesses in one course, and I'm like, uh, I'd rather not do that. <laughs> right. So right. now, yeah. your your oh wife is God. racing pretty well too, isn't she? 
Yeah, yeah. She's actually hit some pretty good workouts recently too. So she's coming around. It's yeah, uh, yeah. So it's um I, I've been really excited about her running actually because um you know, from last year last year it's kind of funny because, like um in previous years she would not let me coach her at all. She would not let me um develop her training plan or maybe a few runs here and there, but nothing like really serious in terms of a, a true training program. And this year she said, okay, let's, let's give it a shot. Let's see what, you know, what, what you can put together for me. And she's having a phenomenal year. I'm so proud of her. She's doing so great. So, Is she going to give you credit for yeah. that? Uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think no, I asked? I, 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 I honestly, I, I think uh, a huge credit is, uh, to her because like, she's the one that like, you know, does all our nutrition. She's the one that kind of, um, motivated me to join this, um, fitness club that we're a part of called the Claremont club. And, um, it actually has saved us in terms of like, you know, having our kids at a, at a preschool essentially. And while we get to work out, it has been huge for us. So now I'm actually in the weight room doing things I'm supposed to be doing for OCR. And uh, we've been putting together a great strength um, conditioning and, um, you know, and everything. So everything that, you know, all her ideas are phenomenal. So that's probably most of the credit while we're doing better. <laughs> well, I'm handling your nutrition for Monterey. Oh, that's right. It was a pasta <laughs> party. <laughs> yeah. You th you thought you had it going on before. Where do you have some of my pasta, buddy? <laughs> now, the, famous. The, yeah, I'll tell you what. The, the question's going to be, how in the hell do I cook for that many people? I've never done that before. You know what? It's uh, it's a task. Um, uh, when I got when me and my wife got married, uh, we got married in Las Vegas. And then after that, we were like, oh, well, all these people that are our family members can't come out to Vegas. So we told them, hey, you know, we're going to have a reception at, 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 uh, at my mom's house. And when we had the reception there, we're like, hey, we got to make food for these people. So what are we going to do? So uh, we ended up making, I think, oh, man, we made like 10 sheet pans worth of, uh, of uh, what's it, uh, lasagna. Oh, and wow. another 10 sheet pans worth of, uh, what's it, um, enchiladas. And, oh, my God. Yeah, it was, a, it was, a, it was an eclectic uh, food selection there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was just crazy because we, uh, we had so many people there. It was like a, oh, I think we had more than 100 people at our party. And, yeah, it was just crazy. But, well, yeah. I figure there's going to be about 30 hungry athletes coming to my thing. Yeah. And and I'm gonna yeah. not have the advantage of a kitchen really to speak of. So I'm gonna tr try to cook everything here and bring it up there and just reheat it. And because my pasta is always better the second day anyway. Yeah, uh, you gotta invest in uh, crock pots or something. I don't know. Get man. it warm or something like that. I don't know. I wish I had Natalie right here. She would tell you exactly what to do. She'd be like, "This is what you gotta do." <laughs> you actually came up with a really good idea. Lasagna. You know, as opposed to do like pasta dishes, because that way it's all kind of congelled into a, a pan and it's easier to deal with. Right. Yeah, because uh, what we did is what we we had them already pre like pre-made, like pre-readied. And then um, we would uh, we pop them in the, 
the 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 oven that we had we had a double oven so we had like four in there at one time and then uh, right when they were done we put them out and then we put another four in there and then we saved the last two i think we had leftovers so kind of ate lasagna for a year a good week <laughs> <laughs> a year <laughs> yeah yeah well i, I yeah. i've had that happen here where we've we froze some lasagna and uh, you know, I like it. I, I something about the the curing process of the pasta. I don't know what it is, but I think day two is better than day one. Yeah, yeah, it, it soaks up the sauce better. I don't know. I'm selling that idea so that people won't feel like it's leftovers. <laughs> well, very cool. I think uh, I think it's going to be an interesting race. I'm going to absolutely be looking forward to it. I have to tell you, I've been hanging with Hunter a little bit. He's looking really good. He's coming out of nowhere. I don't think anybody's really expecting to see much out of him. I would not count him out. I would not count him out. He's in really good shape right now. No, you can never count out Hunter. Uh, he's always uh, pretty fit. So, yeah, I'm not uh, not going to underestimate his ability. Well, he for sure. beefed up over the winter. You know, he was clearly too heavy to really yeah. be fast yeah. enough. But that's gone away. And he's been training really hard. He's been really dedicated. He's been up in Idaho at altitude training. He just got back from uh, Durango. And uh, he's been pretty serious. So, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, He's pissed from what happened to him last year. He got outed at the very, very end of that last race. And he's coming into this with a vengeance. And then then I think it's, uh, you can never count out Killian and... There's a couple other fellows out there that, I mean, Glenn Race has been doing pretty well. He's been in your shorts quite a bit in the last couple of races on the on the West Coast, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Glenn's, uh, Glenn's tough, man. Yeah. And there's, uh, yeah, there's, there's going to be a lot of guys there. I think, uh, I think, I'm not sure, but I think Cody might be showing up. Not 100% sure on that because I don't, I don't, I don't know what, what, what races he's doing, but, um, yeah, I kind of. I thought I thought I saw something on his uh, social media that says that he might be showing up. But well, I not, guess not Hobie's probably sure. going to be there too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, he's not bad. He's not bad. No. <laughs> yeah, well, he. I'd imagine this is on his part of the uh, planet. He might show up for this one. Yeah. I, I'm going to sit back and uh, eat popcorn and just watch the whole thing unfold and belch up the pasta from the night before yeah and i i love this uh live coverage that they're doing it gives a whole different uh element to to uh racing and gives everyone a chance to kind of see what we can do out there uh on the course uh that's that's fine well they need to stop (laughs) looking at it like a circus that's part of the problem with the sport right now is i think that this whole reality scam thing that they've been up to is it kind of takes some of the uh some of the shine off of the uh, athleticism, you know? Uh, Right, right. I really believe they need to look at it like a sport and treat it like a sport and give the athletes their just dessert. And uh, then I think it'll, it'll become more of a staple in the, in the consumer's viewfinder, you know? Yeah. Cause like the, the whole thing I'm looking at it in, I'm I'm looking at it like, okay, there's a lot of participants that do OCRs. So they have a reference point. They've done one. They know what it entails. And then when they see us and they see us doing these obstacles at the level that we do them at, that in itself should be entertainment. 
you know? So I'm like, I, I think that's enough for entertainment right there. I don't, I don't know. I don't know why they went with the whole documentary, you know, scheme. Well, documentary, I mean, they're looking for a sob story to try to pull up the heartstrings, you know, <laughs> Oh, that poor guy, you know, he's getting over that and this and the other thing. And, you know, they just take away from the fact that these people are out there trying to get it done. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to know the history. I want to see the competition. You know, we yeah, all got history, right? Competition's fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, look, uh, yeah. Mark, I, I wish you the best of luck. And I'll be looking forward to seeing you and your wife at my little pasta foray. And I know that you had offered that your wife is very handy in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. I may very well have to take her up on it. It's gonna yeah, be she does the uh, she does the school nutrition for uh, she manages the school nutrition for a school district, so she can handle feeding a lot of people. That's what I'm talking <laughs> about. That's what I, yeah. I, you know, I opened my big mouth and now I got to throw down. So I, I'll I'll take yeah, any help exactly. I can get. <laughs> All right, man. Oh, man. Thank you so much for doing this with me, and uh, I look forward to seeing you up in Monterey. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. All right, bud. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.